From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And we want to talk this week about the two big issues that Congress is hoping to get done before the August recess, both of which are big money issues. One, the effort to help bolster U.S. semiconductor manufacturing to ease this chip shortage we all keep reading about. And the other one, of course, is what's left of the Democrats' Build Back Better plan, which is this health care package that would allow Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices. Kind of a big deal to a lot of people to get drug costs down. Democrats hope to be able to pass that on a party line vote through the reconciliation process. We're going to see if that can happen before the recess. Two big issues. And we also want to just bring people up to date on where we are in the appropriations process for the coming fiscal, fiscal year. So a lot to get to, and I have two guests to help me do that this week. Aiden Quigley, a budget reporter for CQ Roll Call, is back. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks for having me. Who knows a lot about appropriations and follows the ins and outs of it. And I'm happy to say we have a new guest on the budget podcast, Lauren Clayson, a healthcare reporter at CQ Roll Call, who's been closely following this prescription drug bill. Thanks for being here, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Tracker. Thank you. Okay, well, so let's get started. Uh, probably let's let's start talking first about this chips bill. It's it's number one on the Senate agenda. It's on the Senate floor now. They're hoping to wrap it up early in this coming week. If all goes according to plan, there is broad bipartisan support for it. Big package, real money on the table, and we got a new. Price tag for it, Aiden, from the Congressional Budget Office. It's going to cost about $79 billion over the next decade. And we should say this is borrowed money. They're not trying to pay for this. This is deficit financed, uh, which is giving Republic- some Republicans some pause, I think, Aiden, is fair to say. But the prognosis looks pretty good, right? Yeah, the prognosis definitely looks uh, very good for this. It will pass. Next week, at least, it's widely expected to pass next week. There's a closure vote uh, scheduled for Monday. Um, and after that, it'll just be a couple of days um, for them to kind of let all the procedure run through because they will likely not be able to get a unanimous consent time agreement with some, with some objections on the Republican side, but definitely looking like it will pass uh, mid-next week. And this took some doing, and they had to slim the package down from a much broader authorization measure that had a lot more in it, including a lot of trade provisions to crack down against China. That had to go by the wayside, but they do have the essence of the bill with all the real money in it. There's been some talk that, you know, that that there's tens of billions of dollars more in this package you might have read about, but that's just some authorizing language. The real money in this bill is really just to help the chip companies with manufacturing plants and some money for 5G wireless deployment. That's where the money goes. And we should say most of it is for to these microchip companies, much to the chagrin, I think, of some progressives like Bernie Sanders, who are complaining, look, these companies are making a fortune. Do we really need to give them all these subsidies when we're not able to fund childcare and all these other 
priorities the Democrats have, there was a little bit of, you know, and that's why Bernie Sanders came out against this. There was some angst, I think, in Democratic circles over this. But and it looks like most most Democrats are lined up in favor of it, as are many Republicans, partly on national security grounds. They're saying, look, there's a chip shortage. And we turned around and realized, you know, the U.S. used to make microchips, which is used in everything, cars, refrigerators, you name it, TVs. And all of a sudden, we don't make chips here anymore. And that was giving the Pentagon some heartburn. A lot of these chips are used in their weapon systems, and they didn't like the idea of being dependent on these on countries like China for access to these chips. And so there was a big full court press by the Biden administration to lobby Capitol Hill hard, even with the defense secretary going up there to say, we need this. And I think there was, because of that, a real bipartisan push to get this done. And there's investment tax credits in this package for for chip companies that that want to build manufacturing plants in the U.S. That comes at a $24 billion price tag over the decade. And it may, we should say, it may be the only the only actual tax credit, tax cut that Democrats are able to pass after all these hopes of, of an expanded child tax credit and, and reversing the Trump tax cuts. All of that stuff has gone by the wayside now with the collapse of Build Back Better for the most part. But the one thing they may now have is this investment tax credit for chip companies to build manufacturing plants, kind of an irony, but that's where they are. And there does seem strong bipartisan support, but it's certainly not unanimous, Aiden. And and there has been some heartburn even among Republicans over this, right? Yeah, it's definitely good to point out that Senator Bernie Sanders is opposed to this. So it's not only on the Republican side that there are some people, senators who oppose this, uh, this measure, but uh, as you mentioned, it has been uh, an adventure to get to this point. Um, the House and Senate both passed wider legislation, kind of more as a you know competing with China measure. Um, and obviously what we're seeing now is a lot more narrow than that. Um, that kind of came to be as a result of the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell kind of walking away from the table when it became clear that there was a possibility of a reconciliation, budget reconciliation agreement between um, Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. Uh, obviously, that's there have been some developments on that front recently as well. But at the end of the day, we you know we do expect to see this chips package passed uh, next week. Yeah, but there still could be some surprises. We don't know if if there will be a need for some amendments on the Senate floor. And just this morning, as we're taping Friday, uh, Senator Rubio, Marco Rubio, the Republican from Florida, came out saying he's going to insist on amendments to put in more safeguards that none of these chips could be made in China. He's concerned there aren't enough protections there that some of this money could end up bankrolling uh, Chinese manufacture. He's going to want to see that. We don't know that they really need his vote to get this passed. But it's things like that that could cause a few wrinkles in this in this thing as it heads towards Senate passage. And then, of course, uh, it has to get through the House and it will be interesting to me, Aiden, to see how many House Republicans are willing to back this thing. It seemed it, my sense is that they're a little more reticent. Uh, we we saw the number two Republican leader in the House, Steve Scalise of Louisiana, just yesterday on the House floor say, 
really complaining about this about this package, expressing concerns that this is all borrowed money. It could it, it could end up topping a hundred billion dollars. He said, and this is coming right as the Federal Reserve is prepared to boost interest rates to counter inflation. Uh, and the last thing we need, from his point of view, is more deficit spending that could prime the pump again on inflation and make increased borrowing costs and all, all the rest. So there is going to be some real concern among some of the House Republicans, I think, over whether to back this bill. Be interesting to see how many, how many actually come on board. Yeah, especially since uh, the bill could lose some uh, progressives in the House. They will need some Republican votes to to pass this bill. You would imagine there would be enough Republican votes to get this over the finish line of the House uh, with such wide support in the Senate, but definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on moving forward. So that's the CHIPS bill. And at the same time, they are hoping, Lauren, to do this major prescription drug package, um, which is all they can... that the pivotal key swing Senator Joe Manchin was willing to back right now. And so that's what they're going to push for. President Biden gave it his blessing. He said, get this to my desk ASAP. He's willing to go for just this standalone bill on the drug measure. It is kind of a big deal for Democrats, right? If they get this passed, they've been wanting for a long time to let Medicare negotiate drug prices with these manufacturers, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is um, a much scaled back version of what they were originally trying to do. Um, but this has been on Nancy Pelosi's, uh, you know, initial wish list for for several years. So um, this is going to be something that they can actually, you know, actually campaign on um, and definitely take home as a win, even if, um, you know, it's a much smaller version this time around. Yeah. Tell us again what exactly this does and, and how how broad is this thing? So basically, this is a similar version of the agreement that leadership struck with moderate Democrats last, I don't know, November or December. And essentially how it would, it would work is that the HHS secretary would pick up to 20 high-cost drugs that lack competition, with some exceptions, and negotiate prices on those products directly with the drug manufacturers. And the maximum price the secretary would be allowed to accept would be based on the average contract price that drug makers have with insurance companies. And then there's also a separate provision requiring drug makers to refund Medicare the difference whenever they raise their prices faster than inflation. And then a couple of other um, provisions that are included is that it caps out-of-pocket costs in Medicare Part D, the prescription drug program, for the first time. And then some new provisions in it this time around include some delays on negotiating prices for some biologic products when biosimilar drugs are expected to come to market. Um, tightening language allowing the secretary to opt out of negotiating prices. Um, and then also expanding financial aid for low-income seniors and um, offering free vaccines to Medicare enrollees for the first time as well. So pretty big deal for consumers. I mean, big savings on the table here? Yeah, big savings. Um, CBO says that it should save $287.6 billion in federal spending over the next 10 years. Um, they also do project that out of 1,300 drugs, and there's a lot of uncertainty in this projection. Um, so take this with a large grain of salt, but out of 1,300 jug drugs expected to come to market over the next three decades, 10 would not come to market. And it's um, they were unable to say what types of drugs those would be. Yeah, so, that is that is the Republican criticism of this, right? Is that is that if you if you put essentially price controls on these drugs, it's going to it's going to lessen the incentive for drug companies to 
come up with 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 new drugs and new 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 cures and all, all the rest uh, and and some drugs won't come to market sounds like the congressional budget office sort of partially backed that idea and but but in a very limited way and you said only 10 drugs would not come to market yeah and so there's no way to, for us to know if that's just you know some you know extra drug of a, a version that's already on the market just an um, like a generic form, or if it's going to be like the cure for Alzheimer's. And that is the Republican um, argument. Is this right that some of the costliest drugs consumers pay for now could could have dramatic price reductions under this? Um, yes. So the, the, the drugs that cost Medicare the most money um, would be the ones that would be eligible um, and also lack competition. So they have to be what they call sole source drugs, which means they don't have any generic competitors. So I would imagine if this passes, this is a major campaign platform that Democrats would run on uh, this fall. Definitely. They've been they've been campaigning on trying to do this for a very long time. Yeah. So they can definitely say that they accomplished it. And unlike, as you pointed out, Lauren, I mean, unlike most of the other things they were trying to do in their Build Back Better package, this thing doesn't cost money. This actually saves the government money because- when Medicare negotiates lower drug prices, that's that's a lot less money that Medicare has to pay out for the drugs that they provide. Pretty big cost savings to the government. I think you said close to like two hundred over two hundred eighty billion dollars over the decade. That's a pretty good savings right there. Yeah, it is, and they, they're definitely going to try and use that to um, fund other other things on their on their wish list. Um, the the other provision that uh, Senator Manchin is apparently backing. Um, as of right now, anyway, um, is uh, an additional short-term extension of um, expanded subsidies that were previ- previously expanded under the American Rescue Plan. Uh, for And when I say subsidies, I mean subsidies for people receiving ACA coverage on the exchanges. Yeah, these are health insurance, uh, health the, to be able to afford health insurance premiums that people get on the exchanges. I guess last year in the pandemic relief law, Congress expanded those subsidies, made them a little more generous, but that's going to expire. And this would extend that for two years to avoid a big hike in insurance premiums, right? Right. Assuming that they they do a clean extension of what they've already enacted, um, which we don't know. And the talk is right now that it would be a two-year extension. That's also very fluid. They We have not seen text on that. Um, they have not submitted it to the parliamentarian like they have the drug pricing language. And that, the insurance extension, that does come with a cost, right? That, that That's a net cost. Yeah, the previous estimate of how much that would cost over a decade was around $210 billion. Um, so if they only do it for two years, then it would be around $40 billion, assuming, again, that they do a clean extension of what yeah. they're already in. Which would be more than offset by these, by these drug price savings. So it's still a net deficit reducer. But of course, Republicans are going to fight this tooth and nail, which is why they're doing it through the partisan reconciliation process, which is hairy because it's a 50-50 Senate, so they need every single Democratic vote they to, to pass this thing, um, unless there's Republicans absent. Um, Manchin is apparently on board, which is key, but they can't. Af- there's no margin for error here, and under this reconciliation process. There's a lot of parliamentary games to play, and the Senate parliamentarian has to decide whether every provision in this legislation meets the so-called bird rule that restricts the kind of provisions that can be 
passed under reconciliation. It gets all complicated and wonky, but but the Byrd rule named after Robert Byrd, the West Virginia longtime powerful senator, says that it has to be directly related to budget matters to pass under reconciliation. It can't be what they call merely incidental to the budget. And the parliamentarian is the one who gets to decide what is merely incidental and what isn't. And the parliamentarian met with lawmakers we know this past week to discuss that very question, right? Yeah. Um, so they started meeting yesterday afternoon. I do believe that those meetings were expected to go longer than one day. Um, so I have not heard any news so far on that topic just yet, but I'm expected to hear something in the coming days, considering the timeline that Democrats are dealing with right now. And so we'll see if the parliamentarian allows this, because if if she doesn't, that that could kill this effort right there. That That's sort of the first hurdle is this so-called birdbath to scrub the legislation and make sure it complies. And then they're going to need every single Democratic vote, really, to get it passed. The Senate's going to be in for two more weeks for a chance to pass this. Another problem they have, Lauren, is the House is only going to be in for one more week. So if the Senate passes this in two weeks, that's another challenge, right? And the House is going to have to come back into session. Yeah, I mean, the easy answer for leadership on that is that they just cancel recess. <laughs> they just call everybody back to Washington. So uh, Majority Leader uh, Steny Hoyer um, in the House was talking about uh, maybe having to come back in the latter half of August to to pass whatever the Senate is able to get through. Yeah. So even though there's supposed to be a month-long August recess, this year there really may not. And there's a good chance that the House might have to come back in session, even if only for a few days, if they want this drug bill to pass in time. Because the, explain, the, 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 there is a time crunch for this, right, because of the insurance provisions Insurers are going to set their new their new rates, and they need to know pretty quickly here. So they want these subsidy extensions by August, right? Yeah. So they've already started proposing rates, and so we're already seeing the increases um, across the country. You know how they're going to handle, you know, rolling some of those back. I'm not sure uh, because you again, we have not seen the ACA subsidy language at this point. They're doing drug pricing first, and they're still working on the the ACA portion of the deal. Uh, but you know, insurers aren't going to finalize the rates until later this year, I believe, around November. Um, so there is some wiggle room. Uh, we'll just—I guess—we'll just have to see how it plays out. But they do want to get that done as soon as they can, and so we'll see if uh, if we have lawmakers coming back in August to make that happen. If the Senate actually gets it through um, before their recess, so a lot on the table there, and at the same time, Aiden. Appropriations are going on for the the fiscal year begins October 1st. We saw the House did make some headway on that front. You covered it. Bring us up to date. Yeah, so the uh, House passed a package of six bills, um, transportation HUD, agriculture, energy water, financial services, interior environment, and military construction VA. So that's half of the 12 bills that, that, uh, half of the 12 total bills. uh, And Right now, they're saying they're hoping they can bring at least three more bills, which is looking like it would be state foreign ops, labor, HHS, and commerce, justice, science uh, next week. Uh, But at this point, that's looking pretty uh, uncertain 
to put it lightly, because we haven't seen any announcement of which bill uh, or which bills of those that they would actually bring forward. Um, but, you know, House Democrats, there's no top line agreement. There's no top line agreement in sight. So House Democrats have just been passing, um, you know, partisan uh, appropriations bills through the House, um, at least the ones that they can. Uh, there are a handful of bills, mostly defense, homeland security. Uh, those are the two biggest ones with major concerns within the party uh, that look pretty doubtful that they would be able to get through. Uh, but at this point, you know, they got, they're halfway there and they say they're going to do the next six. But, uh, you know, from, from the onlookers' perspective, it's definitely questionable whether or not we'll see them move you know, the, the remaining six bills through the, through the House. Yeah, this is sort of the same situation we, we saw last year, where it's sort of this illusion of progress where the House can now take credit for passing half of their annual spending bills. But they were Democratic-written bills passed in party-line votes that they rammed through, and they have no hope of actually becoming law because there's no bipartisan agreement on these overall discretionary spending limits. And so everybody knows these bills are going to have to be totally rewritten with the Senate to get anything passed into law. But the House is just sort of plowing ahead anyway uh, to get things moving so that they can claim that they're, they're making progress and taking credit for passing bills. Yeah, I, the, the bills also kind of serve as like a negotiating point to, you know, reflecting what they can pass through the House. But, you know, more widely, we, the bills that we end up seeing in the final package will look very different from what we're looking at. Uh, right. But they do they do lay out certainly the priorities of House Democrats. You know where they stand based on these bills that they've passed. But you raise a good point, Aiden. I mean, even with even though they can ramp through bills on party line votes, the margin in the House is so close. I think they only have four votes to spare. And. Democrats are worried they can't even pass all their bills on party line votes. A lot of them, the, the other six look like they're going to be a heavy lift. What, tell us, a few of them are particularly problematic, right? Defense and Homeland Security in particular look like they may not even come to the floor. Yeah, I would definitely, I would be surprised if we see a defense bill, uh, you know, vote on the floor just because progressives think that the level of defense spending is uh, just much too high. Um, and there's definitely more than you know four of them who who feel that way. So that progressives would be progressives think it's much too high, and of course all the Republicans think it's much too low. And so therefore, the Democrats that are left who could pass this bill, there's just not enough of them um, to get it over the finish line. Mm-hmm, exactly. And the same with the Homeland Security bill, right, where the border control policies are so controversial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, border border security at, at the Homeland Security Bill is also going to be kind of a sticking point for House progressives. So it would it would be it's pretty unlikely that we'll see either of those bills come to the floor. And there's the legislative branch bill, which funds Congress and all the you know legislative agencies, and even that one's in trouble, right? Yeah. So the, I think the Democrats uh, Majority Leader Hoyer said that they feel like after the election, it's the best time to consider that bill in a nonpartisan way. Uh, that's what he said this week. So it definitely does not look like they would move that in the next week, which, you know, before the recess. But as we mentioned earlier, who knows what, if recess will actually happen the way we expect it to. So maybe they'll have more time. But well, we should probably explain Hoyer's uh, diplomatic language there. He, he thinks 
the best time to pass it is after the election because uh, they want to pass a, a pay raise for members of Congress. And that's not something they really feel comfortable passing before the election. And it might, and it may not pass if they tried to push it before the election, because that's not a, the kind of thing you want to campaign on. And more and more members may want to vote against it just because of the optics of that. And so with that pay raise tied up in that bill, it sounds like that bill is going to get pushed to the side as well. Yeah, that that's definitely a, uh, a fair assessment there. And then there's a few others, and 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 those are in trouble too, right? I mean, those. Yeah, I think my, my sense is that those are more at least the state foreign ops and labor HHS education bills are more timing concerns as opposed to whether or not they would be able to pass. Um, but the the Commerce Justice Science bill definitely has some um, policing provisions that that progressives uh, don't you know, are, might not support. So that one is more in question, but we'll, you know, we're going to be following the, the other two bills as they move forward, if they move forward, which uh, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see, but it does seem like state foreign ops at the top of the list, uh, priority list of the bills that are pending. But police funding is a big contentious issue now in the, in the democratic party. And so that does cause a problem for that commerce justice science bill but and then we're going to see uh, on the Senate side, Aiden. There have been no markups of these bills because there's because the Senate Appropriations Committee is evenly split between the parties, and there's no bipartisan agreement. So the Democrats are just going to plow ahead now as well and just release their bills. I think we're supposed to see those this coming week. Is that right? Yep. So the the idea is it'll be by the end of the month of July. So um, that would be at the end of next week, presumably. Um, it could it could kind of be early August, but we, it, it, the plan right now that the sense our sense is that we'll see these bills dropped at the uh, tail end of next week. So then we'll have the Senate Democratic positions on a lot of these bills too. But the hard work, the real slog then begins if they're ever going to come to terms on an overall bipartisan agreement that can actually become law. We will see a lot on the plate, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you both for being with me again. Thanks, Aiden, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Lauren, for joining us. Thank you. And we'll be back next week. Thank you.